Chapter 9 of The Submarine Boys and the Middies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys and the Middies by Victor G. Durham. Chapter 9 Tro Gives a Hint. It was a tailor made, clean, crisp and new-looking young submarine commander who stepped into the naval cutter alongside. Jack Benson looked as natty as a young man could look, and his uniform was as a naval officer, save for the absence of the insignia of rank. Up the side gangway of the gunboat, Jack mounted, carrying himself in the best naval style. On the deck stood a sentry, an orderly waiting beside him. Lieutenant Commander Mayhew will see you in his cabin, sir, announced the orderly. I will show you the way, sir. Mr. Mayhew was seated before a desk in his cabin when the orderly piloted the submarine boy in. The naval officer did not rise, nor did he ask the boy to take his seat. Jack Benson was very well aware that he stood in Mr. Mayhew's presence in the light of a cult. Mr. Benson, began Mr. Mayhew, eyeing him closely. You are not in the naval service, and are not therefore amenable to its discipline. At the same time, however, your employers have furnished you to act, in some respects, as a civilian instructor in submarine boating before the cadets. While you are here on that duty, it is to be expected, therefore, that you will conform generally to the rules of conduct as laid down at the Naval Academy. Yes, sir, replied Jack. As I am at present in charge of the submarine purchased by the United States from your company, and at least nominally in charge of the Farnham as well, I am, in measure, to be looked upon for the present as your commanding officer. Yes, sir, assented the boy. You came aboard your craft this morning in a very questionable-looking condition. Yes, sir. Jack Benson's composure was perfect. His sense of discipline was also exact. He did not propose to offer any explanations until such were asked of him. Have you anything to say, Mr. Benson, as to that condition, and how you came to be in it? And shall I explain it to you, sir? I shall be glad to hear your explanation. Thereupon the submarine boy plunged into a concise description of what had happened to him the night before. The lieutenant commander did not interrupt him once, but when Jack had finished, Mr. Mayhew observed, That is a very remarkable story, Mr. Benson. Most remarkable. Yes, sir, it is. May I ask if you doubt my story? Jack looked straight into the officer's eyes as he put the question bluntly. An officer of the Army or the Navy must not answer a question untruthfully. Neither, as a rule, may he make an evasive answer. So the lieutenant commander thought a moment before he replied. I don't feel that I know you well enough, Mr. Benson, to express an opinion that might be wholly fair to you. The most I can say, now, is that I very sincerely hope that such a thing will not happen again during your stay at the Naval Academy. It won't, sir, promised Jack Benson if I have hereafter the amount of good judgment that I ought to be expected to possess. I hope not, Mr. Benson, for it would destroy your usefulness here. A civilian instructor here, 
as much as a naval instructor, must possess the whole confidence and respect of the cadet battalion. I hope none of the cadets who may have seen you this morning recognised you. Then, taking on a different tone, Mr Mayhew informed his young listener that a section of cadets would board the Farnham at 11 that morning, another section at 3 in the afternoon, and a third at 4 o'clock. Of course, you will have everything aboard your craft early shipshape, Mr Benson, and I trust I hardly need add that in the Navy we are punctual to the minute. You will find me punctual to the minute before, sir. Very good, Mr Benson. That is all. You may go. Jack saluted, then turned away, finding his way to the deck. The cutter was still alongside and conveyed him back to the Farnham. Mr Mayhew demanded your story, of course, propounded Hal Hastings. What did he think? He didn't say so, replied Jack Benson with a wry smile. But he let me see that he thought I was out of my element on a submarine boat. How so? Why, it is very plain that Mr Mayhew thinks I ought to employ my time writing improbable fiction. How will Mr Mayhew be bothered? Exploded F. Hardly, retorted Jack. Mr Mayhew is an officer and a gentleman. I admit that my yarn does sound fishy to a stranger. Besides, fellows, Mr Mayhew represents the naval officers through whose good opinions our employers hope to sell a big fleet of submarine torpedo boats to the United States government. Then what are you going to do about it? asked Hal, as the three boys reached the cabin below. First of all, I'm going to rummage about and get myself some breakfast. If you do, there'll be a fight, growled F. Summers. I'll hatch up some breakfast for you. And afterwards, persisted Hal, I'm going to try to win Mr. Mayhew's good opinion, and that of every other naval officer or cadet I may happen to meet. But why the cadets particularly? asked F. Summers. Because, for one business reason, the cadets are going to be the naval officers of tomorrow, and the Pollard Submarine Boat Company hopes to be building craft for the Navy for a good many years to come. And good enough, nodded Hal while F dodged away to get that breakfast ready. Sam Trow lounged back in the engine room, smoking a short pipe. Why don't you go off on deck and get a few wafts of fresh air? asked Trow. Oh, I'm comfortable down here, grunted the machinist, who was stretched out on one of the leather cushioned seats that ran alongside of the engine room. I should think you'd want to get out of here once in a while, though, returned Trow. Why? asked the machinist. Anything you want to be left here alone for? Oh, of course not, growled Trow, blowing out a cloud of tobacco smoke. Then I guess I'll stay where I am, nodded Williamson. Sorry, but you'll have to stop all smoking in here now, announced F, thrusting his head in at the doorway. There'll be lots of cadets aboard at eleven o'clock. And we want the air clear and sweet. You'd better go all over the machinery and see that everything is in apple pie order and appearance. Mr Hastings will be in here soon to inspect it. Just what rank does that young turkey cock hold on board? I sneered Trow when the door had closed. Don't know, I'm sure, 
replied Williams. All I know is that the three youngsters are aboard here to run the boat and show it off to the best advantage. My pay is running right along, and I've no kick at taking orders from any one of them. This is where I go on smoking anyway, declared Trow instantly, striking a match and lighting his pipe again. Williamson reached over, snatching the pipe from between the other man's teeth and dumping out the coals after which the machinist coolly dropped the pipe into one of his own pockets. If you go on this way, warned Williamson, Captain Benson will get it into his head to put you on the shore in a jiffy and for good. I'd like to see him try, sneered Sam Trow. You'll get your wish if you go on the way you've been going. <laughs> I don't believe the Benson boy carries the size or the weight to put me ashore. He doesn't need any size or weight, retorted Williamson crisply. If Captain Benson wants you off this boat, it's only a matter of a moment for him to get a squad of marines on board. And you march off to the rogue's march. So that's the way he'd work it, eh? demanded Sam Trow turning green and ugly around the lips. You bet it is, retorted the machinist. We're practically a part of the United States Navy for these few days, and naval rules will govern any game we may get into. On that hint, things went along better in the engine room. When Hal Hastings came in to inspect, he found nothing to criticise. At the minute of eleven o'clock, a squad of some twenty cadets came marching down to the landing in front of the boathouse. There, Lieutenant Commander Mayhew and one of the engineer officers met them. Two cutters manned by sailors brought the party out alongside, where Jack and Hal stood ready to receive them. A very natty-looking squad of future admirals came aboard, grouping themselves about on the platform deck. It was rather a tight squeeze for so many human beings in that space. After greeting the submarine boys, Mr. Mayhew turned to the cadets, calling their attention to the lines and outer construction of the Farnham. Then he turned to the three submarine boys, signing them to crowd forward. These young gentlemen, announced the lieutenant commander, are Mr. Benson, Mr. Hastings and Mr. Sowers. All three are thoroughly familiar with the Pollard type of boats as the Navy has purchased one Pollard boat and may acquire others. It is well that you cadets should understand all the working details of the Pollard Submarine Company's crafts. A few of you at a time will now step into the conning tower, and Mr. Benson will explain to you the steering and control gear used there. Half a dozen of the cadets managed to squeeze into the conning tower, Jack experienced an odd feeling, half of embarrassment, as he explained before so many attentive pairs of eyes. Then another squad of cadets took the place of the first onlookers. After a while, all had been instructed in the use of the conning tower appliances. Mr. Benson, continued the lieutenant commander, will now lead the way for all hands to the cabin. There he will explain the uses of the driving controls the compressed air apparatus, and other details usually worked from the cabin. Down below came the cadets, in orderly fashion, without either haste or lagging. 
Having warmed up to his subject, Jack Benson lectured earnestly, even if not with finer skill. At last he paused. Any of the cadets may now ask questions, announced Lieutenant Commander Mayhew. There was a pause. Then one of the older cadets turned to Jack to ask, What volume of compressed air do you carry at your full capacity? Mr. Benson's present status, rapped Mr. Mayhew quickly, is that of a civilian instructor. Any cadet who addresses Mr. Benson will therefore say, Sir, in all cases, just as in addressing an officer of the Navy. The cadet so corrected, who was at least 21 years old, flushed as he glanced swiftly at 16-year-old Jack. To say sir to such a youngster seemed almost like a humiliation. Yet the cadet repeated his question, adding the sir. Jack quickly answered the question. Then two or three other questions were asked by other cadets. It was plain, however, that to all of the cadets the use of sir to so young a boy appealed at least to their sense of humour. Through the engine room door, Sam Crow and Williamson stood taking it all in. Sam saw a flash in the eye of one big cadet when the question of Sir came up. Presently, the squad filed into the engine room. Here, Hal Hastings had the floor for instruction. He did his work coolly, admirably, though he asked Jack Benson to explain a few of the points. Then the questions began, directed at Hal. This time, none of the cadets, under the watchful eyes of Mr. Mayhew, forgot to say sir when speaking to Hastings. Sam Trow edged up behind the big cadet whose eyes he had seen flash a few moments before. Go on, Father Benson. Good and hard, whispered Trow. The cadet looked keenly at Trow. You can have a lot of fun with Benson, whispered Trow. If you fire a lot of questions at him, hard and fast, Benson is a conceited fellow who knows a few things about the boat, but you can get him rattled and red-faced in no time. End of chapter 9